Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Well, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving last Thursday. Before I get into this episode, I just wanted to mention that as we are moving through this holiday season, I have a couple of events that I'm involved with that I want to let you know about. The first is our annual winter teen camp that I coordinate with Pastor Victor Gluckin in Rhode Island. That happens from December 28th to the 30th, 2016. If you have teenagers, this is a great opportunity for them to spend time with like-minded believers and get a much-needed spiritual boost. If you're interested, you can get more information at livingfaithri.org. The theme for this year's Winter Teen Camp is Authentic. Also, we are putting on our annual young adult retreat called Revive, that's ages 20 and up, at a YMCA camp in Connecticut from January 6th through the 8th, 2017. Our theme for that weekend is Holy As You Want to Be. This is a phrase I first heard from a Keith Daniel sermon called be ye holy for I am holy from way back in 1997. I figured I would share this message with you since it convicted me and it inspired the theme for this year's young adult retreat. So if you are planning on going to that event, this is something that will prepare you for that. And if you have never been before, we welcome you to join us. If you are interested in coming to Revive, you can find more information at lhim.org. I'll include links to both the Winter Camp and Revive on the show notes for this episode. Next week, we'll start a new Offscript series addressing objections to Christianity. Stay tuned, but for now, here is Keith Daniels' Be Ye Holy for I Am Holy. Please excuse the audio quality. I looked around online, and this is the best version I could find. But nonetheless, I hope you're able to understand it and that it helps you to consider this important topic. Holiness is a word so confused, confusedly preached on and understood even by the people of God. Holiness is a word feared, a doctrine feared, rejected by God's people as a doctrine. Holiness is a word feared to even preach from the pulpit of God, though God said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. You can hate this doctrine of holiness. You can hate this teaching written across the pages of the Bible of God commanding us to be holy. You can hate the word holiness. You can despise those who would embrace it or preach it or embrace it to their hearts to live. You can reject it and ostracize yourself from all who would dare to preach such a word in this day and age. But you cannot bury it if you're to carry a Bible and open that Bible in the pulpit. You cannot bury it. The only way to bury it is to bury the Bible. And if you're willing to do that, preacher, you give account to God. You cannot bury God's command to His people to be holy, written and cried out upon the pages of this book, so loud, so long, so clear, The only way to bury it is to bury the Bible in the church. God forbid.
holiness. Listen to words of a number of persons I will turn and read. Trust me, they're there as they stand. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 God says, Abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you. Separate you. Holy. I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. What a prayer. Isn't it possible? Not faultless, not ultimately perfected, but blameless. I pray God your whole spirit, soul, body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Faithful he that, he that calleth you to a life of sanctification so that he can keep you holy, your body, the soul, kept blameless by God. Faithful is he that calleth you to this. Who will do it if you allow him? Church of Jesus Christ. If you believe he can, if you believe the Bible and stop believing the devil, who says such a thing's not possible, when will we believe God? Who will do it? Who calls you to it? To be sanctified holy. To abstain from all appearance of evil. The Amplified Version, which I dare to bring, you've got to dare sometimes to use the new translations. I don't even want them in my home, most of the new translations, they're so corrupt. I hold to the King James, that I dare to venture to this Amplified now and then, because it certainly doesn't pretend what isn't there. It puts in brackets and tells you exactly what it's about. We've got this statement. May the very God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. I love that word, through and through. That's Andrew Murray's word. The godliest man shall ever given you to be sanctified through and through by the blood of Christ so that God can fill you with the Spirit. May the very God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. That is, separate you from profane things. He makes you pure. Make you pure and wholly consecrated to God. That your spirit and soul and body may be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who is utterly trustworthy, who also will do it. That is, fulfill this call to you by hallowing you and keeping you blameless. Through and through, may the God of peace do it. Another mighty portion of God's word calling to you such a dedication of your life that he may consecrate you. And only what you dedicate can God consecrate. You have to dedicate. The moment you dedicate your life to that which God is calling to you, to holiness, he consecrates. You can't consecrate. All you can do is dedicate. But God does the work. Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Do you know what that means? Paul says something that very few preachers will be willing to do. I beg you. And I'm willing to stoop to that word tonight. I beg you, Christians, who name the name of Jesus Christ in this country, I 
beg you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. You can't get that word out of the Christian vocabulary unless you're willing to bypass a hundred verses at a time. I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world, Christians of 1997. For God's sake, I beg you, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, changing your mind by God, the Holy Ghost, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Amplified brings out this I appeal to you, brethren, and beg you, beg you, in view of the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, that is devoted and consecrated by God, which is your reasonable spiritual worship and service do not be conformed to this world this age fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs but be transformed that is changed by the entire renewal of your mind by its new ideals its new attitudes so that you can prove the perfect will of God for you and his sight for you one other verse that I think you all know and love with me in the mighty book of Peter. 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 14 is obedient children. Hope that you are to this book as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which is holy So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. I beseech you, I beseech you, as obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation of living, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. What a command. Be ye holy, for I am holy, God says. Be ye holy, for I am holy. The holiest man of God that I ever had the privilege to stand within this earth was Mr. Will MacFarlane burned his life out for God many years in Canada 
many years in other countries and brought thousands to Christ in my land of South Africa, the one mark of this man was if he led you to Christ or you came to Christ in his meetings, you never found out any single person anywhere that ever didn't go through with God, that ever backslid. They went right through with God. Wherever you went, if you came to God through Will MacFarlane, you stood like a pillar. What a testimony for his ministry. There was no such a thing as finding someone who came to Christ through his ministry that ever didn't go through with God. That is said by everyone, everywhere he preached, not by him. What a testimony God granted to me. How many ministers could say such words of their ministry? I trembled when I saw this man's face. I began to weep aloud. And he didn't ask me why. I just wept. Something of the holiness shone through him. Just shone out of his face. Oh, something of God shone through this man that I'd never seen in another man's face in my life. And I tremble to know how holy God could make a man on earth. I trembled. Will MacFarlane turn to love me and to love my darling wife later on as the years went by and to love my children in his old age. And as he was able, especially as he got older, he would stay in our home for long periods of time back in South Africa in Peter Maritzburg. Oh, I thank God for the influence he was on my wife who he loved, who reminded him so of his godly wife when his wife had been young. And how when I went off to preach, he would look after the home and pray through and keep his hand on the home. What a man of God to have in our home. I remember being in the home one night while Will McFarlane was in our home and I walked down the passage to the lounge. And there sitting on the sofa in our lounge was this godly man with my two children. Little Samuel wasn't born at that age that time. Here was Nolan Roy, a lot smaller, a lot younger than they are now, sitting on each side of him. And he had the open Bible, the holy book, open. And there he was sitting, reading from the book of Daniel. Chapter 1. And I looked through the door of the lounge and looked at the faces of my little boys as he read slowly about Daniel, young Daniel. They looked up at him, holding on to every word as man as he read profoundly, as I don't know if I ever heard a man read with such profoundness every word in the Holy Bible that he uttered. There was something of God as he read from this book. And he read of how Daniel was taken, this boy, from his land, from his home, from his parents, from everything he knew, suddenly snatched, taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, conquered Israel. And they took the nobility, the children of nobility, everything of the cream of the people that they took, they took enslaved. Daniel was suddenly a slave. The children from all over the Babylonian Empire, they took the children. Didn't waste their time much of the grown-ups to bring to the palace or to serve, and they trained them in the ways of this godless nation so they could serve this king when they grew up. And here was this boy now robbed and taken from his land and home, his mother and father, a boy, and it was expected of him and all these young people, all the Jews and all the other children who were there being now trained, it was expected of them to do, to go against the commandments of God. 
to go against that which they knew God would not have them do as the people of God. It was expected immediately of them, immediately, that they had to now break the commandments of God, go against God. And here was young Daniel, looking at all the other children, willing, so that they just obey and stay out of trouble. But we read these stunning words. This boy, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He purposed in his heart. He made a decisive dedication of his body and life not to defile himself or his body and go against the will of God. He made a decision, a decision in a moment that he had to face in life as a boy to decide that he would not defile himself. I will be holy, was his heart cry. I will be holy, no matter what the others do, no matter what the cost to me. And sometimes the cost is going to be great. The boy can make that decision. A boy can do that. Mr. MacFarlane looked at young Noel and Roy, my two sons, and said, Noel, Roy, I tell you now, the time is coming. Listen to me. He said, the time is coming. You're going to be like Daniel, suddenly out of sight of mother and father. Maybe not on another land, but out of sight of mother and father as boys. Your mother and father aren't always going to be there watching over you. And you're going to find that there will be things expected of you to do with the other boys. That is not God's will. It will defile you. I guarantee you it's coming, boys. I guarantee you. And your mother and father won't be there to say, Don't do it, no. Don't do it, boy. And you're going to have to come with your own choice in a moment in life as a boy. To make a decisive dedication to God. I will not defile myself. You're going to have to purpose in your heart to make up your mind. I will not defile myself. I will not. I will be holy in this life. It's coming. Now listen carefully, Nolan Roy. No matter what anyone tells you in this world, listen carefully now. You are as holy as you want to be. You are as holy as you want to be. Don't blame your friends if you compromise. Don't blame peer pressure at school. Don't blame corruption in the land, lack of censorship, filthy books, evil videos and things. Don't blame anything. You are as holy as you will be. You are as holy as you want to be, my boys. Don't ever doubt that. It's up to you. Don't blame anything. Don't blame a land with moral decadence. You are as holy as you want to be. I saw my boys looking up at Will MacFarlane, and they sat there for minutes without moving, and he didn't say another word. They just looked. 
And I thank God for those holy moments and that influence on my children's lives. I was speaking to a godly woman in my country who was talking about the situation in South Africa since this transition and everything's changed. And she said, we used to be protected by law from all the corrupt moral indecencies. We used to be protected by law from pornography in this country. You wouldn't even hear on a television blaspheme. It wasn't allowed or anything morally decadent. It was law so censoring. So much of all these films across the world were not even allowed on our television. All banned, banned. There was a protection. You wouldn't find magazines that you felt defiled walking by in a book room. There was no such a thing. You'd be jailed. They were called pornography those days. We used to be protected in this land, she said to me, but now it's gone. The government no longer protects us or our children. There's no censorship. Don't lie by saying there's censorship in my land or yours. That's something of a lie. There's no such a thing as censorship or protection for this generation. We used to be protected by law. But now the law protects the filthy. They call it art. Freedom of speech. The law stands with them. But that's no excuse, she said. No excuse. Now we have to protect ourselves. Now we protect ourselves. We don't blame the government. We don't blame the state of the world that we're going to be corrupt. You protect yourself. You don't go near a place where you can be filthy. You don't go near a place that can defile you. You just don't go. And you don't have to go. Not one of you. Not one of you is too weak. You don't have to have a filthy magazine in your home. With a dirty word that your child will read. You don't have to. And you don't. You just don't. When you name the name of Jesus. I thought of this woman was speaking. I thought back to that moment I saw Will McFarlane saying to my boys, don't blame the corruption. Don't blame lack of censorship. Don't blame peer pressure, your friends. You are as holy as you want to be. Don't let anyone tell you any different. You need to hear that loud and clear now. You're as holy as you want to be. Don't doubt it. Another godly man. Oh, what a godly man. Lex Buchanan. Back of Natal in South Africa. Farmer. Oh, such a humble and simple man. But a man you never forget when you're with him for minutes. You'll never forget him. Holy. This man would come up to my wife and I once a month from the farms. The farmland. Down in the city. And he would bring a donation for our work for God and say, here, this is to help you in the work of God. And I always say, please come in, Mr. Buchanan, come inside, have tea. He said, no, no, I have no time. Two hours later, the poor man was standing there still speaking. And I used to say to him when he arrived, you know, you must come in. Because every time we stand here, we're two hours later, you're still speaking to me. He loved to stand under this big tree and just speak and speak. 
And I used to weep. I don't know of occasion that I stood there when this godly man stood there speaking to me that I didn't start weeping. I was in such a state sometimes I nearly sobbed as the burden of this holy man for the people of God who were compromising. I knew of no other man so burdened, so broken at what the church is doing. Compromising with the world. He broke. He wept as he stood there. And he would cry out things to me that I, I wanted to get on my knees. There in the garden again and again. Oh, he was broken. The world can come into the church and you can't see the difference between the world and the church. So the world is happy in the church, at home in the church. We look like the world. We go to the places the world goes. There's no difference. So the world comes into the church and they're quite at home. Where are the days when the world would come into the church and tremble at the fear of God through these holy people separated from the world. He said to me, you can't win the world by being like the world. The world will win you. When you want to entertain like the world. You think we'll win the world? No, you won't. You'll win all your people, all the people of God, and he went to the world. There's no such a thing as being like the world to win the world. There's no such a thing. It's impossible. You haven't won one single person by being like the world to win the world. You're a liar if you think you have. Whether you entertain like the world, entertainment is sin in the house of God. Go to the theater if you want entertainment. Don't bring it into the pulpit. Don't stand in the pulpit with any gift God given you of music or singing unless you sanctify and pray to the God to anoint you, to use you, to cleanse you in the blood. You have the responsibility of a man standing with a holy Bible when you stand up in the pulpit to sing. And if everyone isn't aware that you're sanctified in what you're doing, it's holy and God's anointing it, and speaking to the heart to bring them to Christ, Make God's people deeply conscious God with you up there. Don't you stand in the pulpit of your entertainer. You're sinning. Go to the world's theater and stages if you want to entertain. Don't bring it in the pulpit for God's sake. For God's sake, don't do it, church of Jesus Christ. You can't win the world by being like the world. You never will. They will win you. And in the end, we sit and you won't know the difference between the world or the church. They'll be quite at home with their sin and their worldliness. Because we're just like them. That's what will happen if we try and win them by being like them in any aspect of life. This man would stand there pouring out his grievance, his burden, his crushed heart, and weep. And I would weep with him as he looked at what's happening in our country in the church. I said to him one day, sir, you must preach in one of my conventions. He said, I'm not a preacher, Keith. I pray for you preachers. I'm not a preacher. I said, you must preach. You're going to preach. And between his wife and I, we finally managed, it took a long, long time to get him in the pulpit. And he stood up in one of the great conventions. And he started weeping before he started speaking. And then when he did speak, about ten minutes in, I looked around. The young people were weeping with him at what they'd lost, the standard we've lost. They sat there weeping in broken hearts, young people. I didn't find one 
young person, teenager, from a little boy of 14 up, that wasn't sitting there broken as they realized, as they were hearing, as they suddenly became conscious what we've been robbed of by becoming like the world. Oh, I'll never forget what he said in that meeting, that one meeting, the first time he preached for me. He told us of how as a boy, as a boy, 18 years old, he said, those days when you were 18, you were a boy, you weren't a man. These days you're 18, you're a man, you know everything. Those days farm boys at the age of 18 were boys. Pure. Naive. Innocent in many ways. Had been robbed of this generation, hasn't he? And he stood there and said, as a boy of 18, war broke out. And he went to war. He wouldn't have your background, your protection, your understanding of things. All, all of them went to war. We were speaking the other night of the horror of war, of how men's minds, something dies when they have to shoot each other, kill lives. We were speaking of the horror of what happened in that man, Clem Gates. How he just died, something died in him. And he wanted to die. And he hated God and man for war that forced him to do this. He just became a drunk until God saved him. We were speaking of the horrors of war. The horrors. But there's something even more horrific that happens in war that you people perhaps aren't thinking of. The moral defilement of virtually everyone who goes to war, who left home pure. That's something to weep about. He had to go. Everyone had to go. They go. They expect that it was just the done thing. They didn't have your convictions and your stand. And so this boy went off to war, walked out of his father and mother's farmhouse to war. He said he couldn't believe what happened to all the young boys who he'd grown up with. They'd never touched drink in their life, not once, not even considered it. Never sworn dirty, filthy language or blaspheme. Not once that he heard it once, not once from their lips. Didn't go up into immoral places, never. Didn't even think of such things. And suddenly he said he couldn't believe his eyes. These boys were like birds out of a cage when they went away from home to war. The tragedy is whatever the corrupt people did, they followed. Suddenly they were drinking. He said, why? What do you want to do it for? Just because they're doing it. They're drinking and lying drunk. Suddenly they're swearing and cursing. The only thing is just killing that destroys people. You think of what war has done to destroy moral integrity and honor forever. You will never have honor again in your life when you come back from war. What it does to you morally. The filth and the depravity. He said he couldn't believe the filthiness, the words, the carrying on, the drunkenness, the smoking suddenly. The boys have never had these things. Out of sight of mother and father. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. That's virtually the idea. As they off to wicked places with wicked women. The done thing in war when you're in these strange lands. Don't say it doesn't happen. He begged his friends, don't do it. Don't throw away your decency. And they went off and he wept. He said, I wept through the war. And what happened to the lives? Morally smashed, destroyed. He came back a broken man. 
But what happened to all these young men? He said he came back, he didn't know it would be five years later before he came back a real man. He got off the train, walked down through the lanes and the valley, to the farmhouse, into the house, and there was father and mother. And they stood and wept as they saw their son and embraced them. And he said the first words he said to them. He stood back and said, Father, Father, I want to tell you, and I want you to know this, from the day I walked out of this door, to this day I have never, ever, ever done anything morally wrong, no matter what the others did. I kept myself pure. I want you to know that, mother and father, I did nothing that you would be ashamed of. I walked from this door no matter what everyone else did I did nothing that I wouldn't have done if you had been right there I kept myself and I kept your name honorable the name I carry his father then really did weep what a burden a father must have a child going off not to not just the burden of death but the burden of coming back to his and here this boy came back holy his father wept, and he said these words, Lex, we expected nothing less from you, boy. You are as holy as you want to be. Don't lie and say it isn't so. Don't blame the war. Don't blame others who wanted to taste sin, wanted to compromise out of sight of mother and father. You don't have to. It's your choice. Be ye holy, for I am holy, God says. Be ye holy, for I am holy, God says. What does this word holy mean? What does God mean when He says holy, for I am holy? I could spend the next hour taking you through the doctrinal definitions of the word holiness and holy. Of all the great theologians of the church through the ages, I could spend one hour giving you every definition there is. And it would take about an hour. But I don't want to do that. I would like to do this to explain what God means here. When I was a young preacher, my district superintendent said to me when I was in Pretoria back home in South Africa, rather late in the afternoon, I want you to go to the center of the city. Get in the car and you go now, boy. And Russ, I've got to have these things. You've got to get to the shop. Now don't come back and tell me you didn't make it. So I got in the car and I went down. And I found a shop in the heart of the city with all the bustling of the Catholic. And I found a parking space just outside of the shop where I was to go and collect these things for my district superintendent. And I looked at the parking meter that you have to pay for being in that parking area all across the city. And I looked at the time and I realized I still had to pay, but I didn't have the right change. So I went to this next shop, there was a man standing there, I think it was a Greek man, who owned the shop obviously, he was standing at the end of the day at the doorway of the shop, looking out at the street, and I went and said, sir, I need change for the parking meter. 
And this Greek man looked at me and said, Oh, don't worry, no policeman comes by here at this time of the day. So I said, No, you don't understand, I want to pay. Even if a policeman doesn't come. He said, Don't worry, man, I'll keep an eye open for you. If a policeman comes, I'll put money in, you won't get a fine. You go, do your business. I walked over the car for you, now go. Now he wasn't going to give me the change, so I said, Oh, I went into the shop. Next door, got all the stuff I was asked to collect and I got the chains and I walked out. Put all the stuff in my car and, and then I put the money in the parking meter that I owed. I mean, you owe it. By law. You must know that if you steal one cent, it is as if you steal one million dollars. I hope you know that. In God's eyes, in men's eyes, it's terrible difference. In God's eyes, that's theft. In God's eyes, that's wickedness. The one sentence is greater grief to God. The one call, phone call that you steal from your boss who's paying you. And he doesn't know you. The time you are being paid for that you don't work when you're not watching. You steal it. I hope you know that the small little things are in God's eyes as big. He's so different from men. He doesn't look at things like men. I guarantee you, you are so grieving God at one cent, you may as well have taken one million dollars. And I guarantee you that. In God's eyes, the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, you lose. You lose the tenderness of the walk with God, I guarantee you, with one cent, not when you only take one million. God is sensitive. I owed what was in the parking meet as a Christian, by law. So I put the money in, though I'd finished my business, and then I got in the car to drive off. And this Greek man, who'd been watching the car for me, came and he banged on my window. And the car was idling, I was about to pull off. And he was angry with me. He really was indignant. He said, what sort of a man are you? That you put money in the parking meet when you don't have to. He says, I said, I'd watch for you. There was no policeman. You weren't going to be caught. I watched you. What's, the, what's wrong with you, man? Are you mad? He was really angry. that he'd watch for me and I'd come and still pay. <laughs> so I put the engine open. I got out the car and I said, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I love Christ. I love Christ and endeavor to serve Him with all my heart. He said, I'm a Christian too. I said, no, you're not. Oh, no, you're not. What? I said, sir, a Christian, the difference between your understanding of Christianity and mine is you don't just, with you, you will only do the right thing if you're going to get caught. The Christian that's real will do the same thing whether no one is watching. Exactly in every circumstance he will do exactly the same thing as if a whole grandstand of Christians including the minister of your church were standing there watching over you. You won't do one iota difference. Otherwise you're a hypocrite. Now that's a word you don't hear easily, is it? But I guarantee you there's no other word God will write across your life tonight and so I want to be honest to God in the pulpit tonight. That's hypocrisy. Not Christianity. Christianity is you do exactly the same thing if you're being watched by a crowd of godly people who know you carry the name of Christ. You would do exactly the same thing without... You see, you do it for Christ. Because He's watching. He's watching. And that's why you do your convictions. That's why you don't do certain things. Not for people. Otherwise, if you're just going to do it and people are watching, that's the height of hypocrisy. And what agony that must be. 
to be like that and name the name of Christ. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Do you know what that means? The most accurate interpretation of what God means, according to one of the greatest theologians the Christian church has ever had in its history, be ye holy, for I am holy, means this, literally. In its context, in the light of what God's saying, this is exactly what God's saying, be ye holy, for I am holy, means be ye holy, for I am watching, and I am holy. That's what God means, that's what God's saying. Be ye holy, for I am watching, and I am holy, I am holy. You are as holy as you are when no one is watching. That's how holy you are, because God is watching, you're holy. I am stunned in the Bible how God speaks of us as sheep. Again and again, oh, we like sheep have gone astray, God says. He looks upon men as sheep. He turned everyone to his own way. Again and again, right through the Scriptures, we are looked upon as sheep. Spoken of as sheep at every stage. And God had great insight, you know. Sheep are an amazing thing to watch. God had great insight. I wonder if you've ever watched sheep. They are stunning creatures, you know. I've sat on farms and watched sheep and they're all the same. It's amazing what they do. You watch sheep all grazing on one side of the road. No matter how busy the road may be, you watch them for a while. I guarantee you this will happen. There are pastures of which there's no reason to go to the other side of the road. No reason at all. There one sheep, it just takes one by the way. One sheep just looks over across the road. It always has one head looks up. The rest are still quite happy eating. No reason to move away from where they are. There's no richer pastures over there. It's the same. One sheep just looks at the clock and says, Oh, I'm going. So he goes across the road. Doesn't look for traffic, by the way. He's just going. No thought, no reason. He's going. I'm going. Now the other sheep, I guarantee you, just sit long enough. It won't take long. They look, one's gone, the whole lot gone. No reason, we're all going. We're going to follow. One's gone. God says we like sheep. Now, you know, it's stunning how many people who will turn away from decency to moral decadence. Just give one man and watch how many follow him. In every aspect of life, you people in America, you had a film made by Hollywood, the devil's greatest weapon on earth to defile mankind across the world. Don't doubt that. They made a film which was sent to my country, which a few years ago you would have been jailed if you were found in such a thing. Now you're jailed if you protest against it. It's about it. In this film, we heard and read all the write-ups, even from Christians who were so burdened of what's coming, telling us what's, yes, what's happening. This film was made, a true story of a man here in America who decided he was going to fight the whole system of American law to bring pornography and legalize it to the depth that it can go onto the shelves of bookrooms across your country. He was going to fight. Oh, they fought him at first, protested. But he said, money. He's a good lawyer. Keep pouring, get the best lawyers, fight. 
is going to win. It seems you can, you know. You can change the whole system with a lot of money. Terrible to say we live in an age like that. But you know, this man, this man fought and with the lawyers and fighting and the money behind him, he broke the system. You know that? And now they make a film of him like he's a hero. He's the hero. No wonder they all want to be heroes like that. Sophie. And this man decides he's going to really rip it apart and take away all the filth and just be the filthiest you possibly can be now. Nothing's just playing the fool. And get these things onto every magazine store there is anywhere. Legalize it. So he fought and it got legalized. His ways, undermining decent people, he won the court case. If a of character didn't stand, money can do it. So he wants to undermine decent people who love God. So they make a film about him. But the terrible thing about this, the terrible thing about this that we read, since this man did this, magazines that didn't have filth in decided they were going to follow all over America. Suddenly, corruption, moral, until you're scared to take any magazine now because they all follow one man, no matter what the consequences are to a whole generation who's not protected from moral decadence. Don't think of the consequences. We're all going to follow. In my country, it just took this. The whole country follows another country. We're all following with filthy magazines now everywhere. This took one man, by the way. They made a film of him. The one the world wanted to follow. No matter what the consequences on a whole generation who's going to be impure, broken of decency and moral decadence like you've never seen. You and I haven't seen the fruit of taking away the protection to this generation of unsaved people. The same, another film arrives, they tell me, in South Africa of your America, a man who decides on the radio, got 20 million listeners, because he's so morally decadent that he blasphemes, such blasphemy it's inimaginable, on the radio, the 20 million people decide to listen to him. Blasphemy and filth and the prairie, he can't stop, he can't think of any more filthy things, so they make a film about him, imagine that. Why? Why do you want him to be a Roma? Why do you want to tell people about him? For God's sake, what's wrong with you? We've lost our sense of decency. We've lost our sense of right. Why make him a hero? For God's sake, what's wrong with us? But they did. He fought against everything until he was got his way. But now this is the thing. Radio announcers across America who never use a dirty word suddenly all swearing, all dirty jokes, following. No matter what the thought of the consequences, no thought of the consequences of the entire nation, what you sow, you reap. You sow perversion, you reap perverts. Don't you know that? Not only what you sow as an individual nationally, you sow corrupt and you reap corrupt generation. So violence, you reap violence that you won't be one day scared to walk out of your door. Where you're sowing it. Now the tragedy is, in my country, in the write-up, this unsaved man in a newspaper says, men are so gullible, he says, I'm fearing something when I saw that, for this is an unsaved man, how soon will it be in South Africa, when all our radio announcers who see this hero radio announcer, will all be blaspheming and swearing and telling filth at our radios, it didn't take a month off of that film when they were doing it. Following, not caring about the consequences, just wait one, we're all going to follow, you know. No thought. Like sheep, we just follow. Oh, it's a terrible thing. 
rock groups. Just takes one to start blaspheming and starting to worship Satan. Get away with it. How many to follow? We're going to all worship Satan in our music. All blaspheme. All talk and sing about moral, immoral things. Dirty, filthy words on music. One gets away with it. We're all going to do it. Don't care. We're all going to follow. Lose our integrity. Lose any self-respect. Follow. Nations follow nations these days. Because one nation throws away all its integrity and moral decency and takes away censorship and allows blaspheme and filth and depravity and calls it art and freedom of speech. Watch how many nations follow. So Africa looked at you and said, we want to get in line with the rest of the world. Our politicians said it. I can tell you word perfect in the front page concerning censorship. We want to be like America. We want to get in line with the rest of the world. We're far behind with all those religious restrictions by the, those who are religious in this country. We're going to change now. And God says, the wicked shall be cast into hell and all the nations that forget God. The wicked, the fruit of corruption, the reaping of what you sow as a nation, the wicked, that's all you're going to reap. They shall be cast into hell. And all nations that forget God. Will you forget God, America? No shame on you. But beloved, we, we are not a sheep without a shepherd. Never Never. You're as holy as you want to be, child of God. We are not a sheep without a shepherd. Tragically, there's so many who are, but we are not. We are not a sheep without a shepherd. Thank God. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Be ye holy. For I am watching, and I am holy. My sheep, you have a shepherd. You will hear his voice to the end of this generation, to the end of time. And you will follow him if you are his sheep, when he cries out. And warn. Do you hear his voice? My sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. Are you a sheep? Be ye holy. It's written. For I am holy. I'm watching. I'm holy. There's a frightening verse in this book. Listen to it. In the last days, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Do you know what that really means? In the last days, because iniquity, filth and depravity will abound, the love of many, the love of the most. Let's be honest now, that's the literal translation. This is in the Word of God. The love, God says, because iniquity in the last days on earth will abound, the love of the most 
will become cold, will wax cold. Don't doubt that we're there in the last days. We're right here where Christ is speaking of. Are you going to be with the most that Christ tells us about? You don't think it will happen? Well, who is Jesus speaking of, sir? If your doctrine doesn't accommodate what Christ says. Is Christ lying, sir? According to your doctrine? In the last days, because iniquity shall abound, Christ cries out, The love of the most will wax cold. And we're right there where God says, A time will come when they that will be holy will be holy. And they that will be filthy will become more filthy. Which are you? Who's God speaking about? And which side do you belong of those whom God's speaking about? We're right there in that time when they that are going to be holy will be holy. You're as holy as you want to be. Don't doubt it. And they that are going to be filthy will become more and more filthy. What are you chosen to do, young man? To be holy? Because God's watching you and no one else is watching you. Have you, like young Daniel, made a decisive dedication of your body, of your life? I will be holy. I will not defile myself, no matter what the others are doing. I will be holy. Listen very carefully here in closing. I beg you. I beg you. To make a decisive dedication of your bodies. Presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated. Which is your reasonable spiritual worship to God. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't do it for God's sake. Don't do it. This age. Be transformed by the entire renewal of your mind. This can happen in one moment if you just let God take and change all your priorities in one moment and say, I'm not going to defile myself. Tonight I'm purposing in my heart. I will not defile myself no matter what the rest of the world does. I make a decisive dedication of my body here to God and what you dedicate God consecrates don't doubt that but you have to dedicate it even as a Christian he can't do that for you he only consecrates and does the work may the God of peace himself oh keep away from all evil flee from it may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through separate you make you pure wholly consecrate you that your whole body, soul and spirit may be preserved blameless to the coming of Christ, faithful as he that calleth you to this, to this sanctifying experience. He will also do it. He will fulfill his call to you by hallowing and keeping you. He calls you to this life. And so I beg you, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God tonight 
in this wicked generation, in this last moment of time. I want to ask you to listen and look at this young Daniel who purposed in his heart he made a decisive dedication of his life when he was out of sight of all influences he chose and made up his mind no matter what the rest do no matter what the consequences I will not defile myself I will not go against God no matter how this generation becomes corrupt no matter what compromise the rest of the church does no matter what they say is allowable and acceptable no matter how much they hate the word holiness I will be holy I will be holy I will be holy as I want to be I want every one of you tonight, young people, older people, who in this world, in this desperate moment of our time, desperately, I say to you, you know it, desperately need to do this tonight. I beg you to do it. I beg you to let God have His way who's calling you to this, to dedicate your bodies, to dedicate your lives, for God to sanctify through and through by His blood and fill you with the Spirit, and take complete control of you, that He may be able to keep you blameless, through all this rubbish that's coming, I call upon all of you tonight to be like young Daniel. I call upon all of you in this day and age to not be like the Romans are, to not do what the rest do, to be holy, to purpose in your heart, to dedicate your bodies. I beg you, do it tonight. I beg you of you desperately with all the compromise, even if you're beginning to compromise out of sight of the church, out of sight of the people of God, out of sight of mother and father, out of sight of children or wife, you're beginning to compromise because everyone's doing it. I cry out to all of you who desperately at this point know God's crying to you before it's too late in your life. I call out to all of you who desperately need, desperately need to make a decisive dedication here tonight of your body. To present it that God can take what you dedicate and He can consecrate it tonight. Wow. What do you think of that? Doesn't that inspire you to pursue holiness? God is ready, willing, and able to empower you to live in a holy manner. You just have to make up your mind to do it and lean on Him. Before I wrap up, here's some recent feedback from restitutio.org. On Interview 9, Pagan Influences on the Development of the Trinity with Keegan Chandler, John Bainbridge says, Interesting interview. Thanks. Couple of thoughts. A question I would have liked to ask Keegan is why he thinks that the Greco-Roman world was so receptive to the Palestinian Jewish Messiah. Could it not have been that the texts of the New Testament were already a small step in a Hellenistic direction? Selling Plato in a Christian bookstore might be a bit extreme, but might it not be slightly suggestive that if Platonists were so receptive that the New Testament texts might have already begun to bridge the gap, e.g. Hebrews might be a better example. If that were the case, then we should ask Keegan if he really starts his quest in the right place. Secondly, John Bainbridge continues, from what I've been able to read and understand thus far, I'm simply unconvinced by the modern interpretations of what Jewish monotheism actually meant. I think that this misunderstanding was maybe slightly present in this interview too. There has to be a degree to which we realize that the other gods were not understood by the Israelites as fictive, but real. There are no quotes around the word gods in the original languages. A much more helpful term I'd like to see more of is henotheistic, whereby we see the Jewish claim that Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth, Israel's God, as the ultimate God. 
God of gods, subsequently lending his Lord of Lords title to his son. Blessings. John, you might have better luck if you take up these issues with Keegan Chandler directly. You can access him at thegodofjesus.com. He has a contact form there under his About Us menu option. However, I can't help but offer a couple of comments here myself. I would disagree with your assessment of the New Testament, or even Hebrews, the Epistle of Hebrews, bridging the gap from the Hebrew world, the Jewish mindset, to Plato's, the Greek mindset. We have to be careful to distinguish between language and thought. Though the New Testament authors use the Greek language to communicate to the wider world, their mindset is distinctly Jewish or Hebrew. I personally find the parallels between Plato and the Epistle of Hebrews to result from special pleading. If you want to see what it looks like when a Jew combines Plato with biblical theology, we can see that clear as day in Philo's writings. And I would suggest Philo doesn't sound anything like the New Testament. As for your point on monotheism, I think that's a fair point. The Bible talks about spiritual beings apart from God Almighty, whether demons, Satan, angels, cherubs, seraphs, principalities, powers, dominions, and whatnot. You have a fair point that the Bible doesn't strictly affirm monotheism. However, if we restrict the definition of God, with a capital G, to one who is eternal, uncreated, then we can easily affirm monotheism. We get glimpses of this from God's name Yahweh, which relates to the verb to be, or I am. Also, in Revelation, we see the phrase, the one who is, the one who was, and who is to come. And there is just nothing else, no one else in the Bible that compares to that definition for God. And so I think we can affirm monotheism in that sense. Noah Glimmerveen from the Netherlands says, This was quite an interesting episode, Sean. It is funny to see how Gnosticism is the foundation of Trinitarian thinking, while the so-called Orthodox, and he puts quotes around Orthodox, are so weary of it. Truly, the Reformation is not over until we return to the God of Jesus. Mr. Chandler is a very interesting guest. His interview last week was also great, and you can check out that interview. It's interview number eight with Keegan Chandler, where he shares his own spiritual journey. Last of all, Brian writes... Another great interview. Planning on adding this to my library and reading it soon. Thanks. Now, if you want to catch up on last week's episode with Keegan Chandler or would like to add your voice to the mix, go to restitudio.org and you'll be able to visit, you'll be able to listen to that or leave a comment. As always, please review Restitudio on iTunes if you haven't already so that others can find this podcast. Stay tuned next week for a discussion on the question, is Jesus the only way to God? Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.